everybody. Hey, let's take a big warm welcome to Hamilton Mill that are joining us live from the Hamilton Mill campus. We're so glad you're with us this weekend and all, all of you that are watching from online all around the world, we appreciate you. Uh, I, I woke up this morning um, in a kind of a different frame of mind because um, I, would, I knew I was coming to preach this morning, but I, I was kind of overwhelmed by just the thought of coming and, and speaking to you by the fact that I just love you so much. I love this church. If nobody's told you they loved you lately, here it is. I love you. And my wife and I are just so deeply in love with this church, and we've had the privilege of being here for a long time and watching this church grow and develop. And I tell people all over the country, all over the world, there is no place I would rather be than right here at this church. I just love this church. I love what's happening here. I love all the nations, all the different personalities, the fact that you're faithful, whether it's good or bad in your life, the fact that you love Jesus and you come to church. And those of you that haven't been back to church yet, I just encourage you to get back in the house because I'm telling you, there's, it's different when you're in the house, isn't it, than watching it online. You cannot have that worship experience like we just had. And of course, Crystal is one of my favorite worship leaders. And when she gets up there, I just go, yes. <laughs> Oh man, I just love that. And last week, uh, when we started this series called Extravagant, it's kind of an interesting name considering that we're talking about money. We're talking about money, and then you use this word extravagant. And Johnson and I were back and forth on this. You know, we don't want to make people think it's about giving money to get an extravagant lifestyle and all this kind of stuff. And yet we do have this extravagant God. How many of you believe that? And, and, and I thought, uh, Pastor Johnson just did an amazing message last week to start this series, uh, and uh, he's an actor. I mean, he's not just a preacher. He's, I said, you got an actor inside of you, and I was crying, man. I was like, oh, telling the stories that he was telling, and, and, and so next week, he'll be here next week preaching what I call the hinge pin message of this series, and it's going to go out to all the campuses, so you don't want to miss that message. And I'm sort of the in-between hitter, and, and uh, I have a message that I've preached for many years that kind of fits perfectly in this series called Mastering the Power of Money. And it's something that God gave me years ago when I started thinking about my own financial situation when I didn't have money, and realizing that much of my young adult life, I was mastered by money, where money ruled over me instead of me ruling over it. And how many of you know God never created you to have money ruling over you, amen? And so I started looking at the Bible, started studying the Bible. What does the Bible say about it? I realized, my goodness, there are 2,325 verses of scripture on the subject of money. It is the most talked about subject in the entire Bible. Nothing even comes close. Faith, love, all the big subjects that we talk about don't even come close to money. Jesus talked about money three times more than any other subject in the Bible. So I figured, man, there, there must be something to this subject of money that I need to understand. And I'm reading through the book of Luke, and I come across this scripture. In fact, if you would, turn with me to Luke chapter 16, because in this scripture, Jesus shares a parable about money. And then he goes in and he makes some astounding statements that kind of shocked me, because I didn't really understand the context. In fact, when you read it uh, in, in most versions, the NIV version, New King James, or any of the uh, older versions, it seems to say something that it really is not saying. So I'm going to help, uh, help you kind of break it down. 
But here's the goal as you're getting over there to Luke 16. Here's the goal, just so you know what the goal is today, what we're gonna learn today. By the time we finish this morning's message, you're gonna walk out with an understanding of how to master money. You're gonna understand how to do it. Now, understanding how to do it and doing it are two different things. How many of you know that? I mean, we all want, how many of you wanna master money? All right, how many of you wanna lose weight? Right? You get the picture? You get the point? Yes, I wanna lose weight. I'm I'm gonna lose weight. So it's the same way with money. I wanna get out of debt. Everybody says I wanna get out of debt, but they don't really take it seriously. And and because, you know, this world kind of facilitates a debt lifestyle. And so we're gonna help you understand the power of money, how to break its control off your life, and how to get over into God's economy, amen? All right, so let's look at Luke chapter 16, where Jesus shares this parable. It's it's kind of a long version, but I'm gonna read it all. It says, he said to his disciples, there was a certain rich man who had a steward, and an accusation was brought to him that this man was wasting his goods. So he called him and said to him, what is this I hear about you? Give an account of your stewardship, for you can no longer be steward And then the steward said within himself, what shall I do? For my master is taking the stewardship away from me. I cannot dig. I'm ashamed to beg. I have resolved what to do that when I'm put out of the stewardship, they may receive me into their houses. So he called every one of his master's debtors to him and said to the first, how much do you owe my master? And he said, a hundred measures of oil. So he said to him, take your bill, sit down quickly and write 50. Then he said to another, how much do you owe? So he said, a hundred measures of wheat. And he said to him, take your bill and write 80. So the master commended the unjust steward because he had dealt shrewdly for the sons of this world are more shrewd in their generation than the sons of light. I don't like that verse, but it's a true verse. And then he says, I say to you, Jesus says, I say to you, now you've heard this story. Now you've heard this story. Now let me make sense of it. Make friends for yourselves by unrighteous mammon, that when you fail, they may receive you into an everlasting home. Now that verse of scripture is one of the most controversial, talked about, discussed scriptures when people start talking about money. They don't understand what that means. I'm gonna explain to you in a minute what that means. Just hold on, there's a mystery in that. I'll explain to you what that means in a little bit, but just let's follow through with it. He says, he, or whoever, is faithful in what is least, is faithful also in much. And he who is unjust in what is least is unjust also in much. Therefore, if you've not been faithful in the unrighteous mammon, who will commit to your trust the true riches? And if you've not been faithful in what is another man's, who will give you what is your own? No servant can serve two masters, for either he'll hate the one, love the other, or else he'll be loyal to the one and despise the other. Let's read the last part of it together. Ready? You cannot serve God and mammon. Now, that's a true statement. You can't serve God and mammon. You can't serve God and mammon. You can't serve God and mammon. Mammon is just another word for riches or money, whatever you want to call it. You can't serve God and money. Jesus is trying to get across a point. He said, look, the number one competitor for your heart in this world is going to be money. It's gonna be the number one. Now, you're not gonna think it's number one. You're gonna think there's a lot of other things that compete for your heart, but ultimately, what it all boils down to is money is a driving factor in most people's lives. It drives our lives. And the reality of money is it has power. It has power. If you have money, listen to me carefully, you have power. If you have no money, 
You can have all the wisdom in the world and nobody listens to you. No, the Bible says that. It says a poor man who has all the wisdom in the world and he has no money, no one listens to him. Because people judge your, your ability to do, deal with life with how you deal with money. And so he's telling us that there's some principles in here. Now let me just give you a few thoughts, a few initial thoughts of what he's saying. First of all, he says the people in the world are wiser with money than people of God. Now, I did a study on this because I want to see, is that really true? Is that, I mean, because I know people in the church that are very wise with money, seem to do quite well, and there's plenty of people in the church that have money, but of all the billionaires, millionaires in the world, the percentage is about 90%, 90% of the wealth of the world is not in the hands of people who are Christians. It's in the hands of the world. It's in the hands of people that don't believe in Jesus. You just look across the world. Look at all the wealthy people, all the, the entrepreneurs, the people who own the big companies, the billionaires, the millionaires. Most of them, they're not believers in Jesus Christ. They have all good intentions. They want to do good things in life. They want to help people, blah, blah, blah. But they don't believe in Jesus. They're not submitted to Christ. And very few of them give according to the way the Bible tells us to give. They just give according to the way they think they should give. All right, so that's the majority. And they make money because they're shrewd. They're wise. They know what to do. And it's a shame because God's children should be wiser than this world. Would y'all agree with me? But you know why we're not wiser? Because we follow their ways. We follow their ways instead of following God's ways. All right, in the Bible, the wealthiest people in the Bible, in the Bible, in the Old Testament, the wealthiest people were godly people. But in the New Testament, it started to shift because the, the people of God began to forget God. They got wealthy and they forgot God, and then they, suddenly it shifted over to the ungodly. Now, the second observation is people, not only people in the world wiser, it says here that the, they're more shrewd, God uses faithfulness, he uses faithfulness basically to determine whether he can trust us. Faithfulness with money determine whether he can trust us. Now, that was a big one. He's saying, I trust people, listen, not because they do all the right things. It's how do they handle money? How do they handle money? Money tells me where their heart is. The Bible says, where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. How you handle money determines, oh my gosh, whether God can trust you. Now, we all trust God. How many of you trust God? Let me see your hands. You trust God. The question is not, do we trust God? Not, should we ever trust God? Trust God with all your heart, lean not to your own understanding, blah, blah, blah. Acknowledge him in all your ways. The, the, the question is not, do we trust God? The question is, does God trust us? Now, let me just tell you something. When God trusts you, you get the true riches of heaven. The true riches. Now, let me give you a, a little example of what that means. True riches are not just money. True riches are a good marriage. You can have all the money in the world and have a terrible marriage. In fact, most people that have a lot of money are usually married several times. Aren't they? And some people marry to get money. They know they're going to get divorced, but they're going to get some money in the settlement. I can just put up with this guy for a little bit and eventually I'll get some money. But people don't understand the true riches are not just money. True riches are good marriage. How many of you believe having children that love God and serve God all their days? How many of you, that's true riches, right? How many wealthy people have children that serve God all their days? 
Also, how many of you believe that health is part of the true riches? Come on, somebody. We're all about health right now. People spend all their wealth to get health because they spend all their health to get wealth. Right? You know as well as I do, you could have millions of dollars and be lying in the bed dying of cancer, and it's not going to matter to you how much money's in your bank account. All you care about is how can I get better? And, and some people can try to buy health, but you can't buy health. All right? So the true riches are based on how you think about money. And then finally, how you handle money determines which gods you serve. Now, that's a big one. That's a big one. He says, no, one, no servant can serve two masters, meaning there's, there's a master that you serve, and no one can serve two masters, for he either hate the one and love the other or be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot, everybody say cannot, <laughs> even though we try, you cannot serve God and mammon. All right, so if we know that going in to our relationship with God, then we understand that our number one competitor, our number one obstacle, our number one thing we've got to learn to master is the thing that's trying to master us, trying to control our lives. Now, I was reading a quote by Patrick Morley, and here's what he says about, about money. He says, money is intoxicating. It's an opiate that addicts as easily and as completely as alcohol and narcotics. Its power to change us is close to that of Jesus Christ. Men trade their lives for it. Women trade their bodies for it. Families will trade their children for it. People will trade their church for it. Nations are ruled by it and destroyed by it. Most crimes are motivated by it, and most people are brought under its control. A person who can master the rule of money is the person who is completely mastered by the rule of God. Now, I love that. I, it's telling me that if, if, if I can master this thing called money, if I can master it, the, the, then that's telling God, God, you are completely mastering me. You are my master. You are the head of everything I do. You are not just my savior, but you are the Lord. You're the one who masters me. You're the one I'm under authority on. I'm not ruled by money, I'm ruled by God. Now, this word mammon is kind of an interesting word. It's a, it comes from an Aramaic word that actually means riches. And it started all the way back in the Tower of Babel. The Tower of Babel is in Genesis chapter 11 where it records the story of the Babylonian empire, Babylonian people, I should say. And that was, a, that was a time in the earth when it said all the world was of one nation, one race, one culture, one language. And it said they all spoke and said the same thing. And what happened is they got it in their mind that because we're so powerful, we're so in one together, we should build a tower up to heaven so that we can be equal or like God. In other words, we're gonna break away from our dependence on God and become independent because we have the power. It's the, it was the birth of secular humanism. And so they started to build this tower in Genesis 11. And God sees what they're doing, and he actually says in the word, if I don't stop this, they will accomplish what they're setting out to do. So it says God confuses the languages of the people, and suddenly where people used to be able to communicate, they can no longer understand each other because they spoke different languages. 
the birthing of human culture began in Genesis 11. It divided the world into nationalities, into cultures, into languages, so that they no longer were one, they were now all divided, doing their own thing, and from that point forward, that's where wars begin. Wars begin over who's gonna have the power, who's gonna control the world. And let me tell you who has the power. The rich rule over the poor, and the borrower is servant to the lender. So the power is in money. Whoever has the most money makes the rules, rules the world. How, how do you explain that the United States of America is half, not even half the size of China or India, yet has more economic power, more influence in the world than those nations? And the reason why you see all this vying for power, polit political power, is whoever has the most is always gonna be targeted the most. They're gonna be hated the most around the world. The country who has the most power has the most money. How many of you know that? So that's why you have countries like China, India, other big countries, they're trying to gain economic power so they can rule the world. The problem is we live in a country that has the most economic power, but we're also the most indebted nation in the history of humankind, of all the world. $28 trillion just in national debt that we borrow to pay for people's uh, inefficiencies of a life, and, and we take care of people that don't need to be taken care of, and, and we give people checks on a regular basis that can actually go out and work, but they don't work, and, 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 and they depend totally on the government to take care of them. This is how mammon rules over people. And mammon represents, in the Bible, it represents not only money, but a spirit that's on money. Now, where did that, where did that begin? It started with this concept of uh, rich ruling over the poor. And, and the Bible says, Jesus said this in Mark 4, 19, the cares of the world, the deceitfulness of riches, and the lust of other things will enter into a person's life and choke the world, word in them and make them become unfruitful. This is a part of navigating life, is navigating wealth. All right, so once this spirit got control of people's lives and starts to control people's lives, the only way out is you have to break it. You have to break the spirit of mammon off of your life. And how do you do that? How do you master the power of money? All right, here's some signs that you're under the spirit of mammon. Now, now, now before I give them to you, I don't want you to get condemned, okay? because you might fall under one of these people, under one of these categories. Here's, the, here's, my, here's my heart for you. My heart is not to condemn you. My heart is to reveal to you the truth and then help you get out of there. All right, help you break free. How many of you wanna break free from the spirit of mammon, amen? All right, here's some signs you might be under the spirit of mammon. Number one, you're constantly living under the control of debt. Debt drives your life. You borrow to live. You borrow money to go to school, you borrow money to buy a house, you borrow money to buy a car, and you're constantly buying things that you can't afford, and you live beyond your means. And now debt is so large that, in all honesty, you're gonna be, work, you, this is one of the, the, the big traps that the enemy has laid out for the younger generation, is get them to borrow hundreds of thousands of dollars to go to school, to get degrees they'll never get a job in, 
And then when they get out of college, they owe like $80,000, $70,000 in debt. This, this didn't happen in my time, but now it's the way it is. And they're working the rest of their life paying off school loans. So that's why they're gonna vote for a candidate that's gonna give them, that's gonna wipe out their debt. That's all you gotta say. We're gonna wipe out college debt. I don't care if you're a sinner, I don't care if you're for everything that's against the Bible, I'm voting for you. <laughs> People vote for money. All right, number two, you're never content with what you have. You go in your closet, and says, I don't have anything to wear. You wear this morning. It's a closet full of clothes. I need, some, I need a new outfit, I need new shoes, I need, I need something new. I just can't even go to church because I can't wear that stuff. I've been wearing that stuff, I've worn it two or three times. Some people have a whole closet full of shoes. They order shoes before they ever come out. Yeah, come on now, you know what I'm talking about. Used to be shoes like this, now it's tennis shoes, right? Tennis shoes, you got every new Nike, everything, because that's the latest, and you wear it one or two times, now it's old. Put it on eBay, sell it, and get another pair. All right? You're, you're not faithful to tithe or give faithfully. Oh, it got quiet. No laughter. <laughs> Some of you, what's a tithe? No, no, really. A lot of people don't even know what that is. They don't even know what it is to tithe. They don't know what it is to give. I love what Johnson said last week about loving and giving. He says, you can't love God and not give. If you love God, you're a giver. If you're not a giver, you don't love God. Don't tell me you love God and you don't give. That's just impossible, those two things don't go, because God is love. God cannot help but give because he's a lover of you. He loves you, sometimes in spite of you. He still blesses you. How many of you had God take care of you when you didn't do anything to deserve it? Come on. You know God bless you, right? Why? Because he, it's just like you have a kid that does wrong, but you still, you, you still gotta help him. You're so stupid. I've gotta help you, but I'm gonna help you. Number four, you're, not, you're driven more by the pursuit of success than significance. It's all about success, looking successful, driving successful, you know, talking successful instead of being significant in your life. And then number five, you live in a constant state of worry and fear about money. Just always worried. How am I gonna pay my bills? What about my job? I might lose my job. I'm just always worried about stuff. Can I just tell you something? When you understand how to master money, worry is no longer a part of your life. You're not fearful of money. It's not controlling you. All right, so how do you master? Number one, first of all, you have to understand there are two economies. This is the basic, essential understanding and revelation that you have to understand about money, that there's two economies that are running side by side, and a lot of Christians don't know that there's two economies, they think there's only one. They think there's only one, and so they're subject to whatever the world's economy is about. But let me give you the two, world's economy and God's economy. There's the world's economy and there's God's economy. Now, in the world's economy, this is what you need to understand, there's a curse in the world. The curse is on the earth, it's cursed from the beginning of time when Adam and Eve fell into sin, a curse was placed on humanity. And part of that curse was on their economy. And God said to Adam, cursed is the ground 
for your sake. For the rest of your life, you will toil day and night by the sweat of your brow just to make it, just to make it financially, just to make it. And that would describe probably 90% of the world just scraping a hole, just trying to pay their bills, just trying to get ahead, just trying to make it, constantly struggling, constantly striving. That's the majority of people in the world. And the controller or the master of that economy is Satan. Satan is given the authority because of man's disobedience to God, handed over the authority to rule over the the economies of this world. And it's hard for us to understand that because we see people seemingly ruling, but they're not ruled by God, they're ruled by Satan. Now, how do I know that? Well, when Jesus was on the earth, after he came out of the desert, after 40 days and 40 nights of fasting and prayer, the first thing that happens to Jesus is he encounters Satan. Now, I know some of you are you're new to Christ, you're new to the Bible, you've heard there is no devil That's exactly what the devil wants you to believe. He wants you to believe there is no devil, there is no hell, there is no retribution for for, for sin. He wants you to believe that everything has already been dealt with. You don't have to worry about anything. Everybody's gonna be the same. We're all going to the same God. But that's not true. That's a deception. And so Satan rules over the world. And the number one way he rules over people's lives is through their economy. Now check this out. Jesus is facing the devil, and one of the master temptations that he faces down is found in Luke chapter four, verse five, and here's what it says. The devil, or Satan, led Jesus up to a high place and showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world, all the kingdoms of the world, that includes China, that includes India, that includes America, that includes Europe, that includes all the kingdoms of the world, and he said to him, I will give you all their authority and splendor because it has been given to me. I, he says, can give it to anyone I want to. I can give it to anyone I want to. Have you ever wondered about why certain people are wealthy that have no relationship with God? I mean, they don't love God at all. And they're multimillionaires. Have you ever seen somebody, an entertainer on the stage, and you think, that person has no talent. But there's an anointing on them that people just flock to hear them and see them. And they're famous, and they make millions of dollars. Where did they get that following? Why are so many people following that person? Why is this person that's online that posts idiotic stuff on their, on, their, on their Facebook or Instagram or TikTok or whatever, and millions of people follow their foolishness and they make millions of dollars. Why is that? I will give it to whoever I want. Now, if he can give it, he can also withhold it. I'll give it and I'll withhold it. And he rules over the world with two things, poverty and prosperity, <laughs> poverty is the number one way. The majority of the world lives in poverty, abject poverty. 783 million people live on less than $2 a day. The majority of the world's under poverty. Why do you think so many people in Haiti are lining up at our border trying to get into our country? Because they're coming from an impoverished nation run by a government that's not under God. 
that has taken charge of a, in a very deceptive way of the people, and they're trying to flee a nation of, of abject poverty and get to a nation, America, that has prosperity. Now, whether you agree with their coming over the border or not coming over the border is not my issue. It's not a political issue. Can you understand that if you lived in abject poverty, you would be trying your best to get to some place that had some prosperity? I'm just being honest. <laughs> I don't know about you, but I would. I'm swimming through rivers. I'm climbing over fences. I'm, I'm trying to, I'm, I'm just, that's how I would be because that's what money does to people. It drives people, it, it, it haunts people, it controls people, it manipulates people. And prosperity does the same thing. When prosperity comes, and this is just as dangerous as poverty, it makes us become independent. I don't need God. I got all the money, why do I need God? God, I have money. And if I have money, why should I depend on you? And so most people that have wealth, when they start to get wealth, they lose their relationship with God. That's what the Bible says in Proverbs 22, verse seven. The rich rule over the poor, and the borrower is servant to the lender. Now, if that's a true principle, wouldn't it make sense that when you have riches, you're going to try to rule over people? You're going to use that money to rule over people. All right, now... I started thinking through this thing, and here, here's a couple thoughts. These are kind of just some, some abstract thoughts, but I wrote them down. These are quotes by different people. This is a French sociologist, wrote this in 1835, Alex D. Tocqueville. He said, a democracy, that's what we live under, cannot exist as a permanent form of government. It can only exist until the majority discovers it can vote itself largest out of the public treasury. After that, the majority always votes for the candidate promising the most benefits with the result that a democracy always collapses because of loose fiscal policy ensuing, always to be followed by a dictatorship, then a monarchy. Y'all all right out there? Can you see America in there? Can you see America in there? We're $28 trillion in national debt. When you add corporate debt and personal debt, over $100 trillion in debt. There's no possible, tangible, practical way that a nation can come out from under that kind of debt. Eventually, the borrower will be servant to whoever is the lender. You understand that. And eventually, this is why all nations have a lifespan of, of, of prosperity for about 200 to 240 years, we're 245 years into our country and we are now on the downside. We don't know it because we're propping it up with national debt. We're sending people checks, but where is those, where's that money coming from? It's, it's created out of thin air. It's promissory notes, it's a fiat currency that ultimately will come back to you saying, oh, by the way, we need to tax you to get this money back. Y'all all right? We're paying people to stay home so that they don't have to work. And, and why would they go to work when they get a check from the government? Y'all all right out there? And if you're accepting checks from the government and you can work, what's up with that? What is up with that? Now, I'm all for helping people that can't work, that are physically unable to work, that have disabilities or whatever. But when you're talking about physically able people, 
And they're, and they're just being, and this is why our government's starting to fall apart. Now, listen to this. This is the process of a nation. Henning Prentice says this. He says, the historical cycle of a nation seems to be from bondage to spiritual faith, from spiritual faith to courage, from courage to liberty, from liberty to abundance, from abundance to selfishness, from selfishness to apathy, from apathy to dependency, and from dependency back to bondage once more. This is a cycle of every nation in the history of mankind. Where do you think we are in that chain of events? I think we're over here from apathy to dependency right now. We're just one cycle away from dependency back to bondage. And by the way, if you're constantly under debt, that is bondage. Amen. All right. So here's the difference between the world's economy and God's economy. In the world's economy, you have a curse. In God's economy, you have a blessing. The world is ruled, economy rules by fear. God's economy rules by faith. In the world's economy, there's always a shortage. In God's economy, there's always an abundance. In the world's, how many of you believe in God, that he's a God of abundance? That no matter how, look, no matter how many people lose their job, no matter how much of a shortage it is, I serve a God who meets all of my needs according to his riches and glory through Christ Jesus. He gives me abundant enough to live in a life of abundance. I claim that you have life and life more abundantly. All right? The world is motivated by greed. God's people are motivated by contentment. World dependencies on man, government, God's dependency on God. If you're depending on government to solve your economic problems, you are in the world's economy. You are functioning in the world's economy. And the majority of people, including the people of God, have been so conditioned by the world's economy to live this life, they never put God over their finances. They never understand that there's a whole other financial life to live, where God's hand, how many of you want God's hand on your finances? All right, so, the, so that's the first thing. You gotta understand there's two economies. Secondly, you have to make a value shift. A value shift. Everybody say value shift. Value. All right, what happens to us, and this happened to me, and, and I'm, I'm just, just like you. When I'm, I'm a young guy, I'm working, I have my own business in my 20s. My values were wrong. They were not godly. They were not biblical at all. My drive was success. I want to be a successful business person. So I was charting a course. I started a company in my early 20s. I started this business. I was making good money. I made more money in my early 20s uh, than most people at that age bracket. And I, I, I knew how to make money. And so I was making money. And I was stupid with money. How many of you have been stupid with money? I made a lot of money, but I spent a lot of money. You know what I'm talking about? I still had debt. I still charge things that I couldn't afford, but I made a lot of money traveling, taking trips, buying stuff, buying clothes, to, you know, just doing stupid things. How many of you have done some stupid, I mean, come on, some stupid things. I mean, buying stuff you know you shouldn't have bought, right? Then I get saved and I start learning, okay, I've got to stop living this stupid life with money. I got to get my act together. So I sat down with an elder in the church who was really good with money and I said, what do, what do I need to do to get better with money? He says, you've got to make a value shift. And he started kind of going down some lines of value shift. The first one is you got to start living, start, stop living for your purpose and start living for God's purposes. You, you, you've got to stop living for your purposes and start living for God's purposes. Now, for me, 
what that meant, and this is not, I'm not putting this on you, this is just for me, everybody has their own individual experience with God when it comes to this. God said to me, sell your business because your business in pursuit of money has got your heart, it's taking over your life, it's your idol, it's your God. Sell it and start a life over with me and move to another city and help this little church get started. So I sold my business, which gave me enough money to live a couple months without, or a few months without um, working, got to uh, another city and started helping this little church, but could not find a job. But I was pursuing God's purposes. So I said, okay, God, what, what do you want me to do? And he says, I want you to work a job while you participate in this church. Go to this church, serve in this church, help this pastor wherever he needs help, just help him. People go to the church, they go, what can I do? Just find out where the need is and go and meet it. If they need it in children's ministry, go meet it in children's ministry. If it's, it's wherever it is, just go find a need and meet it in the church. And so I started doing that. And the Lord began to show me, I have a higher purpose than you just making money. Now, what I didn't know was that meant for a season, for about, I don't know, probably 10, 12 years, I was gonna live a life without a lot of money. I was gonna have to live pretty, pretty tight with money. My first house was 28 years of age. I paid $49,000. I built it, built it for $49,000. You can't even build, you can't even buy a trailer for $49,000 now. <laughs> 900 square feet of fine luxury. At 28, most of my friends were in their careers. They were living in hundreds of thousands of dollars worth of houses by then. I'm going backwards. I'm going backwards financially. And, and, and here's what I learned about God's purposes. Sometimes to get in God's purposes, you have to do something drastic. And most people, when they're faced with something drastic, they back off. That's not, I'm, I, that, I'm not confident in that. So the ones who break through and step out in faith, I'm just telling you, on the other side of that is amazing blessings, but it takes a while to get there. I drove old cars. I, I, I lived in a low house. I, the next step was go to school and, and live in an apartment that cost me $325 a month, 700 square feet of wonderful luxury. Driving a car with the ceilings coming down on my head every, you know, having to hold the car like this. How many of you know what I'm talking about? Now I'm 30, 31. Got to this church, started this church. Somebody gave a little, an old pickup truck, Toyota Tacoma, had 140,000 miles on it. No power steering, no power windows, no air conditioning. And the Lord said, I want you to drive it for five years. I said, Lord, I can drive a better car than this. Surely I can drive a better car than this. No, this is what I want you to drive. Stay out of debt, stay out of debt, stay out of debt. So I drove that car, come into church with my three-piece suit on sweating like a hog, driving in with no air conditioning, mumbling and complaining all the way to church. Come on, somebody. Some of y'all driving in at 25 with your Mercedes or your BMWs y'all have on lease, and I'm driving in my old pickup truck, and I'm like, come on, God, come on. <laughs> God just says, stay on my purpose, stay on my purpose. The second thing is you gotta switch value shift from building your kingdom to building God's kingdom. Now, what I found is this is where the big challenge happens. When you start to make money, when you finally do start to make money, there is a great temptation to start building your kingdom. 
Money has a power to lure you into this place of independence that I can do whatever I want. Now, I've got money. I can do whatever I want. I, I can go. I can travel. I don't need to go to church every week because I've got places to go that are fun, enjoyable. I don't need to be in church. I, I, don't, I can't serve in church. I'm, I'm a businessman. I, I'm too dignified to be up there greeting people or working in children's church. I, I, you know, I'll just give money. I'm not going to serve in a church. And that's what happens sometimes when you make a lot of money. And the Lord began to speak to me. And he says, look, the kingdom that, I'm, that you're building on this earth is not your kingdom. It's my kingdom. And here's what the Lord reminded me of. It's back there in Luke chapter 16 where Jesus was talking to the unjust steward. And he gives that example of a person who wasn't managing money well. And look what he says. I'm going to read this in the Amplified Version because this is, is really powerful. He says, I tell you, learn from this, Jesus said. Make friends for yourselves for eternity by means of the wealth of unrighteousness. That is, use material resources as a way to further the work of God so that when it runs out, they will welcome you into eternal dwellings. He's saying that the use of money, the wise use of money, is not just to build a bigger house or drive a nicer car or have this high lifestyle. It's nothing wrong with those things as long as you are using your money also to build God's kingdom first. And he says, making sure that your number one purpose of money, listen to me carefully. Oh my gosh, get this if you don't get anything else. The number one reason you should be wanting to make your business prosper, your life prosper, is not so you can build your house, so you can have your cars, it's so you can build God's house, build God's kingdom. Because when you die and you enter into heaven, who's gonna be on the other side of heaven that you use money in the earth to change their lives? Does that make sense? They're gonna receive you into an everlasting habitation. Souls, lives that have been changed. So your wise use of money, the reason I wanna make a million dollars if you wanna make a million dollars is so I can give more money to help the kingdom of God. When people say to me, I don't need money, I don't want money, you don't have a purpose. Everybody that has a purpose needs money. You need money to do business. You need money to help people. Come on, somebody. That is not a godly, you should want more money, but not for the, for the things of the earth, for the things of God. I don't give to get money. I give to get money to give money. I give to give. I want to give more. How many of you want to give more? How many of you give liberally, help people, not just in the church, just help people, just bless people. When you see somebody that needs money, you can just give them money. You can just walk up to them and help them and, and bless them instead of, Having your hand out, you have your hand up. And you're, and you're saying, God, thank you. I'm, I know I've given, and so I'm going to receive so I can give more and bless more. Amen? Amen? That's why Jesus said in Matthew 19, don't lay up for yourselves treasures on earth and where moth and rust corrupt and thieves break in the steel, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust don't corrupt and thieves can't break in the steel. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. You know, all God has to do to see where your heart is, is look at your bank account. Where is it going? When all of it's going to you, how many of you know that's where your heart is? Your heart's about me. My house, my car, my this, my clothes, my shoes, my this. And then if that's not enough, I, I don't have enough, so I need to get a credit card of four, four credit cards. I need to get this credit card to pay off that credit card to pay off that credit card. 
Y'all all right out there? Come on now. I'm not here to condemn you. I'm here to help you. Come on. We're coming out of this place where we used to be. And finally, you, your value shift is from ownership to stewardship. All right? When you think about the stuff that's in your life, your house, your car, your rent, your, all the things, who owns that? Who owns it? No, really, who owns it? The bank owns it. Credit card company owns it. No. No, let me tell you who owns it. God owns it. God owns everything. God owns everything. This is the thing we need to understand about God. See, God, when, when you see economies collapse, God has not been in heaven, he's not been in heaven fretting. Oh, I don't know what to do. Look what's about to happen to the American economy. The stock market's going down. I don't know what to do. How many of you know God's not worried about it? Why? Because he owns it all. And all, but what, what does bother God is how many of God's people are fretting and worrying and fear of what's happening in the economy because they think they own it. They think it's their responsibility to own everything. What I learned a long time ago is God is the owner and I'm the steward. Everything I have, my house, my car, that's why when I go to buy a house or a car or whatever, I always ask God, is this okay? And sometimes he'll say yes and sometimes he'll say no. No, you shouldn't buy that. And here's what we do. But God, but God, the bank says I can. My credit card says I can buy it. I'm the owner. And here's what happens. When we think we're the owner, then what happens is worry and fret comes on and fear comes on us. When God's the owner, then everything we have, when it starts to break, okay, God, your house is having some problems over here. This car over here is giving some problems. It's your car. Let's get it fixed. I need the money. Come on. <laughs> all right, so here's what, here's what David says. This is David, the greatest giver of all time. He gave the largest offering in the history of man, but at the time he gave it, it was over $3 billion in one offering for a, for a building, for a temple. He was building a temple. He gave $3 billion. They calculated modern-day currency as $3 billion worth of gold, silver, and everything. Here's what he says. After he gave it, he says, Yours, O Lord, is the greatness, the power, the glory, the victory, the majesty. Everything in the heavens and on earth is whose? Yours, O Lord. And this is your kingdom. We adore you as the one who, overall, who is over all. Wealth and honor come from you alone. For your rule over everything. Power and might are in your hand, and at your discretion, people are made great and given strength. At your discretion. Oh, our God, we thank you and praise your glorious name. But who am I, the wealthiest person in the whole world? Who am I and who are my people that we could give anything to you? Everything we have has come from you and we give you only what you first gave us. All right, let me just wind this up a little bit. All right, you do this. If you have children, you do this. You go shopping, right, with your children. And you give your children, they're little children, they don't have any money. All the money they have is the money you give them, right? You give them $50. Oh, I want you to go buy, buy mama 
a, a Christmas present. I want you to get her a good Christmas present. So little, little Johnny or little Sarah goes out to the store and she has maybe her cousin with her to help her pick out something. And she goes in the store and she starts to look at stuff and then all of a sudden she starts thinking about it. And it depends on how old she is. She starts looking at this $50 and she goes, I can buy a lot of stuff with $50. I could buy a video game. I could buy a doll. I could buy candy. Let me just take $10 and buy a mama a present and take the other 40 and buy it for me. So we come, she comes out of the store and she's got this bag full of stuff. Mama doesn't know what's in the bag. Comes out with a bag of stuff and, and daddy's thinking, oh my gosh, look what she got mama. And then she goes home and her cousin helps her wrap it up and Christmas time comes and she gives this $10 gift to mama and daddy's looking at this thing. That costs $50? This little hair clip costs $50. And, and little, little Sarah or little Billy goes, look what I am giving you. Look what I'm giving you. And we look, oh, you're so sweet. What a wonderful little child that you would give to your mama. This is how people are in church when they give something to God. Look what I just gave you. I gave you the tithe of all that I own. <laughs> what do you think God would think about it if we took all of our money, he gave it to us, and we spent it on ourselves, and when we come back, we give him a little tip on Sunday morning, and we go, look how much of a giver I am. I am giving of my sustenance back to God. Who's the owner? Can y'all say that? I'm telling you right now, if you're not a tither, you don't believe that. If you're not a giver, you don't believe that. You believe you're the owner. You're the one in charge. And can I just tell you? Let me just tell you. When you're in charge, you're on your own. Hope you do good. Hope you make it. How's that working for you? How's that working? How's that working for you? See, what I discovered about giving to God first and blessing him and making sure he's the, he gets it all, he's the owner, he guides my giving, not just tithing, but just giving, helping people and stuff. When you live like that, this generous life, this life that God's the owner, I'm the steward, God, whatever I have belongs to you, I just simply give back to you what already belongs to you, God puts his hand on you. He puts his hand on you. And he brings gifts out of you that you didn't even know you had. And he blesses you in your business. And he blesses you in your marriage. And he blesses you in your health. And he blesses you with your children. And he blesses everything runs longer. Your car lasts longer. Your washing machine doesn't break down. Your, your house doesn't have all these problems. And when you start seeing all that stuff happening, you start, uh, wait, 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 wait. Am I the owner or is God the owner? Are you following me? It's a value shift. Once you make the value shift, you start mastering the power of money. And I'll close with this. You gotta believe in the power of redemption when it comes to your money. Remember, there's a curse on the earth. How do you get rid of a curse? It has to be redeemed. It has to be redeemed. 
In the Bible, before Jesus, they had to give offerings. They had to bring animals and crops and everything and offer them up to the Lord. And I'm sure they, they, they bring their first bull or their first goat or their first lamb or they bring their first crops. And I'm sure it probably, if initially, it probably bothered them because they bring them in. They didn't just slaughter it. They just burned it up. They just burned it up. They, it's like taking money and just putting it on a fire and burning it. They offered it up to the Lord because they said, Lord, you are Lord over all, and I simply give back to you what already belongs to you. I wanna show you that I trust you with less as long as you have the first of everything I have. The first redeems, the first redeems you from your sins. Back then it redeemed you from your sins. So all the way through the Bible, we see this redemption. What does it redeem? It redeems the ground. Everything in the ground is cursed. Guess what comes from the ground? Your house, your car, everything. Everything, the chair you're sitting on came from the ground. Your clothes that you're wearing came from the ground. Your body came from the ground. Out of the dust of the ground, the body was formed, Adam and Eve. When your body dies, guess where it goes back to? The ground. Now, how many of you want your ground to be blessed? You gotta redeem it. You have to redeem the ground. You have to break the curse. Otherwise, the curse is on the ground. This is why so many Christians are struggling and striving, trying to fight to make a way financially because their ground is cursed and they're just working by the sweat of their brow instead of redeeming their ground. When you redeem your ground, God puts his hand on you. He blesses you. It's not just financial. It's physical. It's spiritual. It's mental. It's relational. It's all these other blessings. The true riches of heaven come on people who put God first in their finances. All right, so I'm going to finally ask you this last question. It's the old Pastor D question. How you doing with that? How you doing with that? It's awfully quiet in this Presbyterian church. <laughs> Lift up your head that's hanging down. Lift it up. This is not here to make, make you feel bad about your money. You might feel bad right now, but this is not here to make you feel bad about it. This is here to give you hope. There's a hope. God can take you out of debt. He can take you out of this control of money in your life where money's driving you, controlling you, putting fear and anxiety over you, causing arguments between you and your spouse and causing you to make terrible financial decisions and bad business decisions. Because once you start to apply these principles where you're not the owner, but you're the steward, God, I'm not living for my purposes, but your purposes. When you start doing all those things and God, I realize there's another economy that's parallel with, with the world's economy that doesn't, that's not going to be ruled over by Satan once I put everything in your hands. Do you understand that when God is involved in your finances, listen to me, listen to me, you can't help but prosper. You can't help but prosper. Now, I, I'll be honest, there was a day when I look at that and I was like, oh, I'm never going to break out of this. But there's a day that you will break out of it. And when you break out of it, that's why God's had to put it all, all over his word. Remember the Lord your God, for it's he who gives you the power to get wealth, that he might establish his covenant in the earth. Not you might establish your covenant. He might establish his covenant. 
So I want you to close your eyes for just a moment. I want you to lift your hands and just say, Lord, I surrender right now. I surrender to you, Jesus. Not just my mind, not just my body, but my finances. They belong to you. And whatever you want me to do, whatever you need me to change, whatever direction I need to go that I haven't been going on, Lord, help me right now to have the faith to make these changes. I pray for everyone that's here, everyone at Hamilton Mill, everyone that's watching us online, God, that you are breaking the power of money off of their life right now in Jesus' name. That you're teaching our people how to master that power. To no longer be under the control of mammon anymore where the spirit of mammon's ruling over their homes and over their minds and over their bank accounts. But God, we wanna put you in the place where you are in charge. You're the one running the show. You're the one who's causing us to make good decisions about our finances. And I pray as we go through the rest of this series, God, it's just building upon building upon building until we come out on the other side and God, you give us all that we need to rule and reign in our financial lives. I pray this over us and I thank you for it in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Come on, and amen. Let's give him praise.